Hello, my name's Luke Mitchell. Welcome to Founder Chats with Be Purple, the University of Brighton's entrepreneurship support service. In this series, we interview business owners, many of them graduates of the university, most of them in the first five years of their ventures, to find out the secrets of their success so far. How did they get started? What challenges have they faced and how did they overcome them? And what advice and inspiration can they offer to others looking to go it alone? In this fifth episode, I met with Phil Carr. He's the founder of Sussex-based business MyPT Hub. MyPT Hub is an online web and mobile app enabling personal trainers and fitness professionals to manage their clients by creating customizable training and nutrition programs. It's one of the world's most popular pieces of software for personal trainers. Phil talks about the ins and outs of running a SaaS or software as a service business. He explains how he got started, discusses funding and reveals some of his inspiration in business. As always, Founder Chats are recorded in public spaces. This one took place in Brighton's Cafe Coho near Brighton Station, which was a little noisy at times, but it does serve a fine flat white. Enjoy. Thank you for, um, thank you for spending the time with me, and um, hopefully I'll be able to provide you or give you any kind of insight into my life, what it is that I do. Uh, but yeah, so uh, my name's Phil, and I run a web company called MyPT Hub. So specifically, in a nutshell, what we do is we're a, a web and a mobile application service that enables uh, personal trainers and fitness professionals from anywhere in the world to manage the relationship between themselves and their clients. So traditionally, what a personal trainer would do is they would write all their workouts, nutrition plans on, say, a spreadsheet or a PDF, and then send those out to their clients, whether that's uh, remote clients or face-to-face. And then, but what, what we've done is we've we've kind of eradicated the need for that and put everything in house and put everything into an application which trainers can then manage on the go, wherever they want, via any iOS or Android device or via any laptop, and manage that you know, relationship that they have with their clients whilst tracking their progress and achievements along the way. Okay. So that's essentially what we do. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, so I founded the business in uh, January 2015, so we've been going just over three years now. Um, we generated our first pound in August of that year, so August 2015, and subsequently since we've just kind of, we've really been growing and, um, and just expanding the business. I, I set it up, actually funny enough, in my nan's bedroom, so that was a um, that feels like a long time ago now, uh, but it was just me on my own in the bedroom working out, trying to decide whether this is a good idea or not. Uh, but where did the idea come from? So it originally started from a few friends of mine who subsequently now work within the business, uh, who are personal trainers. So I would see them walk around the gym, uh, sending or giving you know bits of paper to their clients. You know, they're stuffing inside their gym bag, and then the next time the client comes to the gym they pull them out and screwed up and uh, mucky so I used to see them doing that 
and I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way of being able to do this. You know, you're, you're booking clients in on your phone using your calendar, yet you're writing everything down on a piece of paper, and then when you've written it down on a piece of paper, you're then going home and typing it up. And there's got to be a better way of being able to manage this whole um, this whole relationship. So yeah, that's where the idea came from. Okay, just going back a bit earlier, so when you first. We're thinking about going to university. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have any idea that this was a path that you might follow? Yeah. Obviously, not a specific app idea, but you know, yeah. starting your own business or starting creating an app. Yeah. You know, what was driving you at the, you know in those early days? So, I always knew. Say, I always knew. I would say from the age of around about. 16, 17, I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to work for myself and I knew that I wanted to start up my own business and try and do something within the tech and the digital space. What that was, I had no idea. Uh, I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do because I've always had a passion for for digital um, technology. So I actually went to university down in Portsmouth and studied uh, business enterprise development down there. So it was kind of like a spin on, on business studies, but with a, an element of uh, enterprise and entrepreneurial uh, side to it, if you like. And the great thing about that was I was able to, I was actually given time to you know, think about what it is that I wanted to do or you know, test out projects whilst I was at university. Um, but kind of like coming forward a little bit from when I from when I graduated and left university, I I knew that even though I knew I wanted to set up my own business and I wanted to do that, it was, there was a part of me which thought I, I don't have enough commercial experience. I haven't really been out in the real world to see okay, so so what do managers do? What what are legal requirements and sort of things? Okay, we talk about this world of budgeting and finance and what does that actually mean in, in the real world? You know, you get taught about it, but it's how, how do you compare the two? And so I kind of knew that I needed to get some experience from a small business point of view and from a, a large corporation perspective. So when I graduated, I, I went and worked for um, a small web company down in the center of Brighton, actually, um, called Claramentis. Now, they were an internet company. They were a small company. There was only around about 15, 16 people in it at the time. But I got some really good experience from, because I was, I was also, uh, let, you know, kind of taught myself to, um, to develop websites as well. And when I was down there, I had some really good experience with understanding customer requirements, what they wanted, uh, project deadlines, you know, all these sorts of things that you kind of have to, you know, you have to do in, in the real world. And by working with them, I got a really, you know, some really good exposure to real clients, uh, real money, uh, to proper deadlines, all these sorts of things. But then after about 18 months of being with there, I, an opportunity came up for me to work for um, RSA, um, formerly known as Royal and Sunlight, uh, who were based over in Horsham. Now, they were setting up a, um, a tech area, they were setting up a, a development arm, if you like, because a lot of their stuff you was outsourced. So I, I went and worked with them, and that got me some really, really good exposure to the corporate side of things, of actually things are a lot slower, and there's a lot more processes that be involved, there's a lot more checklists, but you're trying to still work 
in a, in a quick, fast-paced industry, and the two, on the surface of things, kind of don't really go hand in hand. So that was that was really, really good to be able to learn small business, large corporations, and uh, combining that with uh, the education that I built up at, at Portsmouth University, really. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, pretty, was it pretty much after that that you then established or started to establish PT Hub? Um, was there, were there any other apps that you played around with or websites that you started? Yeah. So, I um, a friend of mine. Uh, I was working with him on a, on a website called Music Gateway. Now, um, that was just a small web application that I was involved with at the time. I I was helping them out from a digital perspective, so that was a really real startup business. You know, there was literally three people in it, and I helped them from a web perspective, uh, trying to generate some more traffic through it, helping out with the design, you know, getting the business off the ground, if you like. But but pretty much ultimately, since when I left RSA, the aim was to. Set up my PT hub was to uh, was to build and, and scale that business really. Okay. <laughs> so um, imagine you face some sort of challenges in terms of scaling, um, <laughs> running a business successfully over the last three three years. Anything sort of key in your mind of those sort of big hurdles that you've had to overcome? And how have you overcome them? Yeah, it's. So, scale, you know, dealing with scale and dealing with demand, it, it sounds like a it sounds like a great thing. <laughs> it, it sounds like a nice problem to have, and it, it is when you're, you know, you're sitting in a nice, relaxed environment and you're, you're having a coffee or what have you. But when you're in the thick of it, it's, it is extremely tough, and sometimes you don't really know what to do. So I would say, I'd say from my angle, really, it's some of the things that I've learned dealing with that is having having a really a really clear set of features or a, you know, a very strict level of priorities that you know that you're working on. So how we work is that we we section things out into, into quarters. So we know what the feature sets that we're going to be releasing for the next three months. And we, we're very adamant about sticking to those. There will be the very odd occasion where somebody comes in or a customer requirement comes up for, for something that we know we can, okay, you know what, that's, we never thought of that and you can change it. But dealing with, dealing with scale and dealing with demand starts from having a very, uh, very clear and a very strategically driven feature set that you're working to. Because clouding yourself with all this noise that goes on around, say, because you know, we, we kind of have this expression that we stick by really, which is uh, one customer's, can I please have this? Is another customer's, oh, don't touch that. Because, and when you're dealing with a lot of people, that's really, really important that you stick to what you're, you're going to be able to do. Um, but I would say, I'd say the other thing in terms of dealing with scale and dealing with demand is hiring the right people. And one thing that I always really, really stick by is surrounding yourself with talented people is the best thing that you can do. But the, the, moment, that you go in, the moment that you go into business and you think that you can do it all yourself is the moment that you're kind of gearing yourself up to fail. Okay, I appreciate that when you start out a business, you're, you're wearing multiple hats. One day you're a marketing guy, next day you're a sales guy, next day you're a finance guy. But 
actually realising what your core strength is and what it is that you can bring to the business over other people is really, really important to highlight that from early on. And, as, and when you can, start to offload the different areas of the business that you know that you don't particularly excel at. You know, to begin with, that might be working with a small accountancy firm locally that can help you with the financial side of things when you start off. It's obviously it's important to understand the PL and the balance sheet and how those numbers are put together. But ultimately working with somebody who can spell things out in English to you. You know, you might come out of university with a first class honours, but when you're combining real world stuff which is going on at the moment with your creative element of what you where you want to take the business, they they require two different parts of the brain. And sometimes that's very, very difficult to, to kind of overlap, if you like. So I think the key to us really has been building a successful team and having been very clear on where it is that we're going in kind of relatively short-term bursts uh, from that, I guess. So. And, and how have you found good people to work with, apart from those that you use, like local accountants or whatever, it may be. Mm-hmm. what about developers in particular? How do you sure. find good people to <laughs> we kind of pride ourselves on, on well, we have two, two big areas that we really like to uh, emphasise on. So the first one is generating a really, really good office environment. I mean, ultimately, we go back to the question of where do we find them? Now, um, from being in the web world for around about 10, about 10 years, if you like, you do pick up a lot of contacts along the way of people that you know. And I know I appreciate that, you know, you, you, some people who might be wanting to build an application might not know anybody uh, in that specific area and finding a really good developer who's not only prepared to work with you on a particular project but realises that the reward might come slightly further down the line is like finding a needle in a haystack and I, the, what I would suggest with doing that is by if you're at university and you have access to different faculties and different departments who may potentially have different you know have gems of people that are, that are within those particular faculties I remember what I did at university when I was working on small projects is that I actually went even though I was in the business school went to the, the IT part of it and said to one of the lecturers you know I really want to build a website that does this this and this can you mention anybody or refer me to anybody at the university who is really starting to excel or someone who's really interested in that put me in contact with a few people and then got to know them and suddenly things grow from there uh, and that's actually where I was kind of self-taught with coding was watching what they were doing taking stuff that they had breaking it blah blah but you have your obvious channels of working with recruiters but things like that quite, can get quite expensive um, big way that we've managed to find developers is by reaching out to people on LinkedIn and speaking to them via social media joining up with close Facebook groups in particular languages of technology that you want to work in and going and meeting people and then inviting them into your office and then when you're in the office you can then show them the type of environment that you're trying to build so if you were to walk into our place we'd have bean bags everywhere we've got um, you can select any type of computer equipment that you want we've got rooms that are sectioned off that we've glass partitioned off so you can go and work in there on your own TVs on the wall fridges full of every possible soft drink under the sun that you can imagine uh, all of that sort of stuff is the kind of environment that we want to that we want to build and 
and I guess ultimately finding people is great but keeping people who are who believe in where you're going is even harder to, to be able to do especially when you are the one who set the business up and you're the one who's got that emotional attachment to it how can you get somebody else to be emotionally attached to a business when ultimately they came to join you in the first place because they want to get paid so it's what is it that you can do along the way and providing people freedom flexible working you know you can work from home if you want you know you dictate your hours um, you don't we don't work on an hourly basis we work on an output basis uh, so every three months people know what they're working on so as long as that gets delivered in that three months if you do it in two months then that's my problem not their problem I haven't given them enough work to do um, by the way it's never the case <laughs> um, but I guess that's ultimately um, ultimately an approach Really okay. Just out of interest, um, have you bootstrapped your, your your business, or have you ever received investment? We have received investment. Yes. So we went down the route of um, SEIS. If you're familiar with that, yeah. so just kind of for people that might be listening uh, who may not understand what that is. So uh, the government provide, uh, I'll try and be this as, as, as light and as fluffy as I possibly can. <laughs> um, the government provide incentives to, um, to investment funds or to uh, ultra or high net worths, if you like. So individuals who have access or disposable, or quite a lot of disposable income. So what the government say to these particular individuals or these um, all these funds is that we instead of paying a larger tax bill at the end of the year why don't you invest back into the economy or invest back into the individuals who want to set up businesses so typically when you're first starting out you're looking at no more than say 120 to about 120,000 for your your seed investment into the business and that's exactly what it is that we did uh, there was a few individuals that I knew um, who who had access to funds and had access to money at the time and ultimately what it came down to was believing in the individual and wanting to come along the journey with that uh, with that particular person because ultimately at the end of the day the idea at the beginning is extremely fragile and there are so many things that could go wrong or that could, could break the business from, from or you know stop it from, from growing so believing in the individual and realising that following them and helping them out along the journey is the best way to it because people traditionally think that you go down the bank route you know you walk into a, you go and see your bank manager or, and you go in and say hi oh, I'd like to borrow X amount please um, is, is is the way to go but the way that I would say it in terms of if you are going to go down a particular funding route is try to avoid writing a business plan through some form of Word document. Try and create, a, they're known as pitch decks, so if you were to go online you could search for the likes of Airbnb pitch deck, Spotify pitch deck and see the examples that these guys came up with 10 years ago. But the whole idea of it is, is you know, no more than you know, no more than 10, 11 pages long, but every single page should be really light-hearted, it should be colourful, it should you know, have some really nice pictures on it, you know, when you're talking about growth, 
we try and mm -hmm. look one area that we did of them, you know, this is kind of what we want to achieve over the next 12 months. So we plotted um, changes that we were going to make to the business along a really nice looking graph. So as we were making a change, you would see how that would have an impact on numbers. So it was a visual, visually being able to tell an investor, by the way, if we do this, this happens. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, a lot of that is so they can see the impact. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, um, so yes, that's where we, that's the way that we went. And for a student, that, uh, it sounds like you had a few contacts, useful contacts when you were at university, but or, or after that. But for a student that wants to start off looking into that, where would you point them to sort of go and find an investor? Where, where should they go? Um, Seems like there's quite a few places they could. There's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of funds up in central London. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of those. They're the ones that I know. There's a company called Seed Mentors, who are the people that we originally went to. Um, you can also go to places like Angel.io as well, where there's a lot of um, seed investors that hang out and go through those um, specific areas. But again, using places like LinkedIn, you can go onto there and you can search for, if you just search for seed investors, you'll probably find there's a lot of people in and around Sussex to do it. I mean, I, know, I could name two or three off the top of my head that I know that do that. And that's their job. Is That's exactly what it is that they do. But... So finding individuals is, see I think finding the individuals or finding funds, because you could do a Google search for SEIS um, funds in South of England and you'll probably get about 50 or 60 different companies that do it, because there's a lot of people out there. But the important thing to realise is there are particular times of the year when it's good to apply and when it's not good to apply. So applying in April is probably not your best bet, because <laughs> towards the end of the tax year um, and probably applying just after April is probably not your best bet either. Um, so what I will probably edge my bets towards is kind of late late summer, early autumn will be roughly around the sorts of times that these funds will be inviting people in to come and pitch. So try and give yourself up for those specific times if you're going towards a fund. If you're going towards an individual, it obviously works on a completely different basis for those particular individuals. Um, but the thing to look at from an investment point of view, do you realise that for every for every pound that you that someone invests, there's typically a string attached to that. So when someone's dangling one hundred and twenty thousand pounds in front of you, it's very easy to snap and to go, oh, that, yeah, great, I'll, I'll have that. But just be cautious around the people that you go into business with um, and look at it from a perspective of okay so what can this individual or what can this fund bring to my business besides money because ultimately at the end of the day when something goes wrong uh, whether that being big or small when you're on your own especially when you're working in your nan's bedroom if something was to go wrong and you need to pick up the phone and speak to somebody you want someone who's going to be able to talk to you not not say, oh, please book an appointment with my PA and I'll speak to you in two months' time or I'll speak to you in a month's time. Or because it's no good. The problems, you know, might not be curable by that particular point. So I guess it's just working out who it is that you're going into business with as well as the sorts of funds that are available to do that. Right. Okay. Just just going back to growing your business. Um, what are some of the attributes that you think you need to be a successful entrepreneur? You know, what's driven your success? Um, do you know what? Ultimately, at the end of the day, this comes to is, is passion. 
option. Um, I, it's funny when, when people have asked me this before and they, you kind of expect this answer of someone to start, you know, it's about passion, it's about wanting, wanting, you know, wanting to be able to do it and what I, what I really, really mean by that is passion towards the product, is passion, not passion towards, yes, okay, Ultimately, people want to kind of, in the Western world anyway, if you like, go into business because they want to be um, successful, let's say, from a monetary point of view, because they go, I'm going to go into business because I want to become a multi-millionaire. Okay, that might be a driver for what you want to be able to do, but let's focus on the here and now. Let's focus on the key things to what I believe has made um, my PT Hub successful to what it is to date. And that has been because ever since day one, we focused on the product. We focused on wanting to build something which somebody or someone else actually wants to use and they want to use on a day-to-day -day basis that uh, enriches their lives and makes what they want to be able to do better. Sometimes we get it wrong and that's, that's okay to get it wrong. But luckily, I mean, touch wood, that a lot of the time we get it right. But we, we're very passionate about that, getting that right. And I think that's the ultimate, um, the ultimate thing for us, which has kind of made us successful. So that's one of the key things I would say from that. The second point is I just want to touch on something that we spoke about earlier, really, which is around people and building the team. The, when you first start out, yes, okay, sure, you have to do a lot of these things yourself and you have to be prepared to, to work long hours. But the word work in this situation should really come into the equation. You're doing this because you want to do it. And when you're sitting down six months after, eight months after, 12 months after you've, you've launched your product and you're, you're in, in business, let's say, you can have a conversation with marketers, you can have a conversation with designers, you can have a conversation with developers and know because you've been there and done it and you go well actually I was part of that project, I was part of this particular team that was involved in here and having that level of exposure and wanting to have that level of exposure to it, that's what makes you a good MD, that's what makes you a good leader is by rolling up your sleeves, getting involved in the business and doing the stuff that might not sound glamorous but you have to do because ultimately what you want at the end of it is to have all the nice fancy stuff and to get all the nice fancy stuff you have to work on the here and now which is getting the product right getting stuck in and then when you're in a position to do so surround yourself with those talented people that can offload that particular workload from you so you can continue to focus on the bits that you know that you do best so. what do you like about being a founder in particular uh, so this one's this one's really this one's really the difficult thing I found with this is um, is knowing what you why you would define yourself as a founder. Right. <laughs> really. Um, so do you not do you not think of yourself so as that? I for start when I when I first started I didn't really like calling myself founder. I didn't really like calling myself CEO if you like because I saw myself as someone on their own who was working on a business and had a passion towards it. But I guess the things that I, that I like the most is I now like the ability to be able to focus a lot of my timing on new product development. Is the bits that I excel at are the digital marketing and the 
the building of the new versions of the products and stuff that are coming out. So, in terms of from a um, from a founder's perspective, it's it's great being able to be part of the decision making team. It's great being able to be involved in those conversations with others and having the ability to be able to say no, I don't think this is right or that's right. Uh, but to me, the the first. 10, 15 people that are involved in the business obviously other people that are founders okay, yeah. if you like because yeah theoretically at Company's House you would look back at it and you would go okay so this was the person that originally had 100% of the business and was the person holding it so if you want to call it from that title fine but I think it's more founders in the sense of who were the people that were there during the first year two years or so that helped mould the culture of the business who managed to mould the first version the second version and you know ultimately going on to the third version of, of the platform mm. they are the individuals because you can see all of their individual stamps on different areas of the business so that's kind of like my view mm -hmm. on it really okay. um, which I think it's, it's personally I think it's better to view it that way uh, because it puts everything at a level playing field and it lets everybody get involved in in, in the business and be, be part of what what's growing. Really. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that helps. No, it's interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about MyPT Hub in terms of how you actually make money, um, how you market yourselves, um, and who's important in your business apart from the people that give you money? Basically, and there's all <laughs> the different relationships around your business. Yeah. So um, MyPT Hub is. Uh, in the industry, it's known as a SaaS business, so S-A-A-S. And for those of you who don't know who, what SaaS stands for, it stands for Software as a Service. So my PT Hub is a subscription-based website. So how it works is um, personal trainers will either sign up to our website and pay monthly or annually in advance. Um, if that 70% of our user base pay annually in advance, which, which works out very well in our favour, um, especially from a cash flow perspective. Mm. Um, but what they do is they, they then add their clients to, to the application, so the clients can use it for free, that's enough for them. So 80 to 85% of our revenue comes through from the personal trainer paying us, yeah, I would say annually, um, or, uh, or in some cases, or uh, monthly, but we also have additional um, bolt-on services that the trainer can opt into to purchase. So one of those is we we run what's known as a custom app uh, pro, uh, custom app uh, icon. Now what that is is it enables the personal trainer to pay a one-off fee of either seventy-nine or fifty-nine based upon which subscription plan it is that they've decided to opt in for. And what they can do is they can swap out the My PT Hub icon that's currently sitting on the App Store to reflect their own business. Now, as part of the subscription, you're able to completely customise the, the web application, so the one that you see on the website. However, the one which is on the App Store is, by default, the My PT Hub icon. So what trainers do is they will pay an additional, as I say, £79 or £59 one-off fee. There's no subscription uh, tied to that. Uh, so they build upon their branding and on their business so when their clients log in they think that they're using ABC Fitness app for example uh, to completely eradicate my PT Hub from the equation 
so it really helps to build and strengthen that individual brand. But going back to your second point of the question, which was around uh, individuals who who don't pay for the software. So let's talk about the end client there. Now, actually, ultimately looking at that, the end client is is actually probably more important than the trainer. Now, bear with me a second on the reasons as to that. So, we we have a um, we stick by a quote that we have we actually have up on the office. It's kind of like it's put up on the wall, which just says that um, a user interface is is like a joke. If you have to explain it, it's it's not a very good one. And we stick by that in terms of trying to help the end client achieve what they want to achieve through the application. Now if you if you come through to us and you're a trainer and you've gone, okay, I'm gonna pay £16 per month for the unlimited package of my PT card. And you add a lot of your clients, but all the clients go, this is really, really confusing, I don't know how to use this. Ultimately, we're just going to end up with a cancellation. Mm -hmm. The trainer's going to turn around to us and say, I don't want to use it anymore. My clients find it clunky. They don't find it easy to use. Blah, 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 all those sorts of other reasons to get involved. So ultimately for us, we're going, okay, how can we make the life easy for the client? So now we've worked out how the, the, the system's going to work for them. Mm. How can we add the admin layer on top of that? Now that's the interface of where the personal trainer gets involved. And then that's the bit that you sell. So if you think about the the, the furthest possible way and the, the first possible person in the chain first and work back, it's far easier than focusing on the trainer and then going out to the client. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of how we see it from both angles, really. The, the individual who's paying for it and the the, uh, the guys and girls at the other end mm -hmm. of it who are, who are yeah. not paying for it, who are just receiving the service from the trainer. Mm -hmm. right. so yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what sort of advice would you give a student that wants to set up their own app or website business? Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, the way that I would see it is really keeping keeping the product simple and working out what your MVP is. So, i.e., MVP being your minimal viable product. We, when we first launched. Um, if I look, if I think back to it now, um, it was awful. <laughs> it wasn't very good. I, you know, Jeff Bezos, the um, the owner or the CEO of um, Amazon, says that if you're not embarrassed um, by your first version, then you launch too late. And we look back and we are extremely embarrassed by our first version. We had yes, people paid for it. I, I don't know why, but they did. Um, but ultimately, it's keeping it simple and working out: does this need to be in the first version? Do I have the ability to build something really, really basic and hand that out to 20, 50, 100 people, provide some, get some feedback from them? Because a website and an app is never finished. We make probably five, six changes to our website every week, making updates, changing things, moving things around. I appreciate in certain forms of other companies that's probably relatively quite small in terms of uh, making changes, but ultimately keep it really, really simple and understand exactly what's going to be in your MVP. And but also but keeping keeping features back, by the way, um, keeping stuff in your utility belt to launch three months, six months after going live, 
because if a customer emails you in and says, oh, it would be really good if you could do this, we've had this on several occasions where someone said, oh, it would be really nice if this feature would come out, and you go, oh, funny that, a week later something goes live, and they feel good about it. Do you remember that with the, um, the was it Windows Vista, Windows 7, I think it was, where they went, oh, and Microsoft had that campaign which said, Windows 7, it was my idea. It's mm. kind of like that same sort of approach towards things, which is having these features ready to go as and when so when customer demand builds to a certain point you can capitalize on that by mm. launching these features so that's that kind of the angle that I would take from that um, another thing that I would strongly recommend is a lot of people get caught up in thinking that setting up a business you know it's they it, it comes with this status and it comes with these all of these other potentially egotistical things that come along with it which is really you don't want to get caught up in that world you really really don't let the business and the products do the talking um, especially if you're going into the web world you know people are only interested in the people that started it kind of three four years down the line when you've actually got some traction and you've got some stuff which has gone on behind you but ultimately when you first start out it's about it's about the brand, it's about the business, it's about the product. It's those things that you want to focus on first. Um, you'll go onto my PT Hub and there won't be anything like an About Us page. There won't be a Meet the Team section. We don't have any of that because our number one objective for when someone comes through to the website is we want to convert them from a, a visitor to a trial user, from a trial user to a paying customer. That's ultimately what we want. We don't want to cloud them by going oh here meet the team of people that we have because actually when you first start out there might be just one or two of you but when someone comes through to your website and it's really you know really well laid out and things look really good put up smoke and mirrors make people think that there might be 50 to 100 people working in that company because if someone wants to believe oh this looks like a website that's only got three or four people behind it they don't actually know the answer to that whereas they could go oh there's 50 60 people that work here uh, and therefore I'm going to trust that business more because it looks like a more accredited business to go to work with so focus on the brand and less on what it is that you want to achieve out of it because ultimately at the end of the day get the, get that particular part of the business right mm. um, it's, I think they would be the things that I would say to individuals or Great, to people yeah. wanting to start that part of the business Okay and is there anyone or anything that sort of particularly inspired you in your business life? Um, I do follow a number of individuals who have who have done really well in, in the spe- in kind of like in the web world or in the technology world, if you like. And not they're not your typical. Oh, I'm going to follow Elon Musk, or I'm going to follow, or I'm going to look at inspirational quotes by Steve Jobs. It's like, oh, okay, it's not those sorts of things because there's a lot of individuals who do go under the radar, who are, and then when you start to dig a little deeper, you think, blimey, right, right, that is huge in terms of what they do. You know, we're talking multi, multi millionaires. You know, probably billionaires. You've never even heard of, or people that you never really work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, a, there's one individual that I follow quite heavily. There's a guy called Jason Freed. I don't know if you're aware of Jason. Have, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Do you rework? Rework exactly that. Yeah. But there's a lot of a lot of people that don't know who he is and actually what he grew. And he, he used to sell a business called Thirty Seven Signals, um, which ultimately is now called Basecamp. Mm. Um, but his book Rework is 
really good. I've mm. probably read that ten times. Everything I, every time I go on holiday, I just pick it up and go, oh, "It's nice." You know, my wife looks at me and goes, "She's reading like a nice fiction, like what would you know, some fantasy book or something like that." And I'm picking up some book on business, and she's going, "Oh, you're so boring." You know, but actually, do you know what? I find that really interesting. Really, really good. Um, he's really one to, uh, that I follow, and another guy called um, Patrick Collison as well. The good thing that I really like about with Patrick and what he does is that he came from a development background. So he came from. And he was he was really focused on and still is still really focused on making the best product possible. And that that's that's the bit that I really love is that when you see interviews with him, he's never talking about himself, he's never talking about his financial wealth or things that he you know, things that he enjoys going off and doing. He still turns up to work in a t shirt and a pair of jeans and he's still focused on delivering the best product possible for his customers. Bearing in mind that he's working in an industry which is extremely regulated. Uh, so that's the bit that I really, really like about following those guys is they're talking about areas of the product that they're that they're going through or problems that they come up against and how they've used technology to help get around those problems or actually break down barriers and red tape in those particular industries and go, actually, no, this is the way that it's done now. So much so that they actually now are part of a load of regulation which goes on within the financial world, which is, I think that's, I think that's really to be commended actually. Mm. Really, really cool. I enjoy that bit. And just to finish off, what's the future for my BT Hub and for you and your business interests? Um, so, for my PT Hub, we've got a, a number of additional product ranges that are coming out, which complement uh, that complement my PT Hub. So we've got uh, we're working with a number of uh, I won't go into too much detail, but we're working with a number of large corporations, both in the UK and across the world, because uh, we have customers in the UK, States, Australia, New Zealand, and quite a few other places. So we have a big problem with time zones. But that's for another, that's for another time. Um, but what we're working on is a an extension of my PT hub which can help not necessarily the personal trainer in the gym or a personal trainer working remotely with their clients. What can we do which is a level above that, which is much more of an enterprising element to, to my PT hub. So for us um, the focus yes is still on developing my PT hub, building that as a as a product getting more and more people to come through and using that on a daily basis. But it is actually working on additional product ranges which complement that particular piece of software. So how can we go out to other companies and say, yeah, we've got something that can work here, but how about this? And this would really benefit you. So it's that's what we're working on from, from that side of things. But for me, personally, um, one of the big things that I that brings me a lot of satisfaction is actually working with uh, other individuals or other small businesses. Um, I do this both locally and I kind of also do this with um, other companies uh, across the country as well. Is understanding what their needs are from a technology perspective and trying to help them grow through these particular startup periods or this particular early point. So I ultimately see myself over the course of the next five or six years or so working with more smaller businesses. Uh, I, 
if that's on a financial basis then maybe but also from a um, exposure to resources and knowledge that we've had through the pain points that we've been through but ultimately not running the businesses for other people helping them along that journey showing them showing them where it is that they need to be able to go from but more specifically from a tech perspective because there's only other businesses that you can go into which yeah okay they might have very similarities but our bread and butter is technology so what can we do and help other individuals along that journey so working with lots of universities and with colleges and um, working with after schools as well, as well as also working with small startup incubation uh, businesses and uh, communities, if you like, within the local area, to try and see if we can help out from, from that manner is ultimately where I see it going. Uh, really. So, what is it that you like about that kind of work in particular? Do you think? Um, reward you get? I enjoy seeing other people do really well. Um, because if and that doesn't necessarily mean me necessarily being involved is because it's going to have some sort of financial upside myself but I remember when I was looking to get into the industry there were individuals that were just helping me along the way not for their own personal gain but simply because they were just being nice people and I think the more that you can help out others then you never know when stuff in life will they'll come back and they'll help you as well with what it is that you're doing and I guess just being involved in that product development and that really creative stage of the business is it's just something that I really enjoy and really it's really fun to be part of especially if you can work with other individuals who are extremely enthusiastic towards wanting to do that then I think that's just it's a great place to be it's really really nice so that's all to me on that note Phil um, thank you very much for your time that was a really interesting insightful uh, interview so uh, I wish you all the best for the future as well much appreciated thank you so that was Phil Carr you can find him at myptHub.net. to find out more about Be Purple and all the support we can provide University of Brighton students and graduates go to bepurple.co.uk where you can also sign up for our free email newsletter If you've got something to say about this podcast, do send me an email. The address is bepurple at brighton.ac.uk. Thanks for listening. See you in a cafe soon for the next episode of Founder Chats.